good morning. We're a little distracted up here. All right. Hey, when I was a kid, uh, I had a special job to do. And I don't know if you uh, ever had this, but I had a special role, uh, and it was to go to the grocery store with my mom. And this was like the first time as a kid, I felt like I had something to contribute to our family, you know? So my dad would send me, he's like, hey, go be there for your mom. And I would always do the heavy lifting. Like, mom, I got that, you know, let, let me get that. And, and as a little kid, it made me feel great, made me feel special that, that I could do something on behalf of our family. And so we'd go to the store and I would push the shopping carts. Like, mom, I got this. You just pick the things out, put them in, let me handle the pushing. And, and so I felt so good about myself. And I remember one time, that just a normal time we were going through, we had got most of the things that we needed, our shopping cart was full, and, and something happened that had never happened before. That as I'm walking, I'm a few feet behind my mom, she's looking forward, grabbing the next item. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, this woman comes up behind me, grabs something out of my cart, and vanishes. <laughs> now, as a kid, I had no, no, no way to make sense of this. I'm like, what, what just happened, you know? And I look around and the woman's gone. So I'm like, did someone just, just take something out of our shopping cart? And you know, I'm trying to make sense out of this. And it was so strange, I, I, I didn't say anything. I just was processing this. And so we keep walking, we get to the next aisle over and I'm like, maybe I imagined it. I mean, that's, that's weird for someone just to take something out of your shopping cart. And, and I'm kind of like, you know, looking over and, and out of nowhere, same woman comes up from the other side, sneaks up, grabs something out, vanishes again. I'm like, all right, this is, this is really happening. There is, is a grocery ninja taking things out of my shopping cart. And so I'm thinking, well, I can't tell my mom this yet because I've, I've got to solve this problem. I've got to figure out a solution to this. And I can't think of what to do. You know, do I try to combat the ninja, you know, the next time she attacks? Like, I don't, I don't know what the right move is here. And, and so I, I'm processing all of this. We get to it the next aisle over I kid you not, she comes a third time without me noticing, grabs something else out of our cart and vanishes. And by this point, I realize I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I don't know how to do this. I'm I'm just going to have to figure this out. And so finally I say, hey, mom, we we got a problem. She turns around like, what do you mean? I I know you're not going to believe this. Um, There's a lady taking things out of our shopping cart. She's like, sorry, what did you say? I'm like, I know. There's a woman, she's kind of like a ninja, she's taking things out of our shopping cart. And so my mom has this like perplexed look on her face. She turns and she looks into our shopping cart to assess the damage. And then she tells me something I'll never forget. She says, Jeremy, that's not our shopping cart. (laughs) Give you a moment to let that sink in if it hasn't got to you yet. Uh, So... What you're saying is, I stole her stuff, she's reclaiming it, is what, okay, yeah, yeah, this is different. And so I remember, like, leaving the shopping cart and just walking away, like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pretend like this didn't happen. I start retracing my steps, like, four aisles over, our cart was there, and, you know, so like, hey, mom, we need to retrace our steps. Like, we, we missed a few aisles. And so I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that, but we're gonna talk about this today. Now, I just wanna say, we're so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Jim, I'm the lead pastor here. We're thrilled you're a part of this. Give you a shout out if you're watching or listening with us online. We're so glad that you're a part of this. We're beginning a brand new series today called Unexpected. And so if you've got a journal, I encourage you to get that out. Go to week one and you'll see us about to take notes. The reason why we do journals for every series is we want you to write down things that God is teaching you, things that we're unpacking in the scriptures, 
scriptures. You can go study them further uh, throughout the week with your life group or have it as a reference later when, when you wanna go back and remember how God is teaching you, how God is growing you. Uh, this is a resource for you, so I encourage you to get that out. In our Bibles, we're gonna be in Luke chapter one. So go ahead and get your Bibles out. And uh, Luke's the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's your third book in. If you've got a physical analog Bible, I encourage you to get that out. If you've got a Bible app on a phone, I encourage you to get that out as well and follow along. We think it's so meaningful for you to be able to read this for yourselves and not just hear it from me. Now, we're gonna look at a cycle this month. And, and this is a cycle you see at Christmas time, but it's a, also a much bigger cycle that we experience day to day as well. And so I wanna lay out the cycle. This is where we're gonna be for the next month. And so you understand how all these weeks are gonna fit together. It'll give you a way of listening to each of these to know how they make sense. Now we're gonna begin by talking about a situation when you go, I have bad news in my life. You ever been there? This is not the way it should be. And whatever that is for you, but you go, something is not right. Well, what happens then? Well, we begin the cycle with bad news leads to longing. Bad news leads to that moment of, I wish it could be different. I wish it could be better. And that's the longing that is produced by bad news. Nothing about my, uh, my, my woman whose shopping cart I stole, right? She has bad news, some punk kid took my shopping cart. The longing is, I want it back, I'll slowly become a ninja and steal it from him, right? This is the process that she goes through. There's bad news, leads to longing. This is what we're gonna talk about today. Now next week we're gonna see that longing leads to expectation. And so when you begin to long for something more, you start imagining what would it be? What would it look like? What thing would, would fill this longing that you have? And so uh, you, want, you want to come back next week for that. Then we're going to talk about how expectation often leads to disappointment. You begin to expect, this is what I need. This is what will happen. And as soon as it does, things will be so great. And then life lets you down. And you experience a disappointment as a result. And then finally, we're going to talk about our Christmas services, that the irony is disappointment can lead to good news. And this is the unexpected twist because of Jesus, that disappointment actually takes you to an unexpected ending you would never see coming. Now, without Jesus, here's what happens. That disappointment leads to bad news, and you start the cycle over again. And this is what we're gonna talk about this Christmas. And so, a couple asks I have of you. Number one, would you plan on attending each of these weeks? That, that if you are a regular part of this with us, make sure you're a part of it. I want you to see how this whole cycle takes place, how it all nuances itself together. Uh, I don't want you to miss that. But number two, would you begin now, who do you need to invite to our Christmas service with you? Uh, we have lots of options at all of our campus. Who do you need to say, you know what, why don't you come experience this with my family. We'd love to have you here. Now, here's what I would tell you. This service will stand alone. Okay, so if you're like, well, yeah, but you just said, it'll be a standalone. You'll get more out of it if you've been here the whole month, but I'm gonna target this for our guests. And so if you only came that week, it's going to make sense. You don't need to worry about that. But here's what I want you to think about. What neighbor of yours, what coworker, what family member, what friend of yours is dealing with some disappointment and needs to know that there is an unexpected outcome of good news if they would experience Jesus 
Jesus in their life. This is the unbelievable story of Christmas. And we're going to see this all this month, how this plays out. But I want to encourage you now, begin inviting someone with you. Uh, They are more likely to say yes on a holiday. And so you can invite them with you. And hopefully uh, God does something miraculous in their life as they consider a new outcome that they did not think was possible. Now, this is uh, something that we experience, like I said, personally, but this is also the Christmas story. Now, I want you to think back. You remember when you were a kid how magical Christmas was, how, how it felt? And do you remember some of your memories as a kid? You go, oh, that was so great. Now, as adults, we're trying to go back to that. We're trying to capture that, which is why we have so many traditions. Why do we do those things? Because you did them when you were a kid, and you remember the way it made you feel as a kid. That's why we listen to music that you probably don't listen to the rest of the year, but that music creates a feeling in you. We, we do these things. We watch movies that, that, that restore that feeling that we had. It's all to try to get back to what we used to have. There is a longing in us at Christmas time. I remember about the time I was in middle school, had another Christmas, and, and I've always thought Christmas was amazing. Except I remember one year, like the day after, I had this letdown. Like Christmas had come and gone, and it didn't feel the same that year. And so I remember talking to my dad about it and going, Dad, what, what's up with this? I, I, I just don't, I, I don't remember Christmas feeling like this. And he told me, Jeremy, it's because you aren't longing for the things you used to. Christmas doesn't meet that same need that it used to do for you when you were little. And I remember thinking, oh, I... I can buy a lot of this stuff now. And it wasn't the same thing. Now, I would tell you today, I, I'm back to loving Christmas because I had to reinvent myself at Christmas time. But there's a point where you go, I'm longing for something that, that seems to have eluded me, seems to be gone. And this is a cycle we experience at Christmas. But this is also uh, a way to explain the bigger story of what God was doing at Christmas time. So we're going to look at this together. We're going to see how longing is built into the Christmas narrative. Now, if you're with me in Luke chapter 1, we're going to go to verse 67, so you can get your spot there. Now, let me set this up for us. There's a guy named John the Baptist, and and if you've been around church, maybe you've heard that name before. John the Baptist is a a bit eccentric. Uh, He's a little bizarre, but his job was to tell everybody that the Messiah was here, that Jesus was coming. He was to point everyone to Jesus. This was John's role. And so John does this very well, and yet it's kind of a, a bizarre job for him to do. But it doesn't begin with John. It actually begins with John's dad, a guy named Zechariah. And in Luke chapter 1, we're going to read a, a prophecy that the Holy Spirit gives Zechariah shortly after John is born. And Zechariah is putting things in motion that we see throughout the Christmas story. And yet once we take a step back and see the bigger story of what's going on, you might realize, wow, this is incredible news for us today. So let's read together Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. This is incredible news, but you have to realize this wording is given to people who are dealing with bad news. 
Now, again, there's so much in here that would be good news to them. Salvation from our enemies, to remember his covenant. You're going, what is all this about? Is It's to people who are beat down. They're distraught with the bad news in their life. And Zechariah comes and goes, hey, I've, I've got a, a new message for you in the midst of this. Now, I want to explain to you why they were living with bad news. And there's at least two ways you can think of this. Number one, they were living in the midst of silence. For more than 400 years, God had been silent at this point. Now, if you look at the, the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament, you might think that they just seamlessly go from one to the other. But what you have to understand historically, there's about 400 plus years in between those two books. And so there's this period where God seems to be gone. You know, what happened to him? Is he sick? Is he not well? Did he die? Or does he not care anymore? Now imagine 400 years of wondering, what happened to God? Where did he go? There's no prophets. There's no prophecy. God's not showing up. God's not doing anything miraculous. There's nothing supernatural that you can see. You, you begin to long for something else. Now it's hard for us even to imagine this, but imagine how many generations have passed in that 400 plus years of time. That these stories you keep telling are going, yeah, well that God doesn't show up anymore today. The Holy Spirit wasn't indwelling inside of people like it is today. And so you just have this, this longing, this, this gap. This is longer than our country has even existed. I mean, it would be hard for us to understand how much longing they had to hear anything from God. God, just give us a little sign that you're still around, a little sign that you still care. And there's just this deep longing, a deep silence. The second reason why is that even though the Israelites are living where they want to live, it doesn't feel like home. And the reason why is because they are occupied by the Romans. The Romans rule over them. The Romans decide what they can and cannot do. And so there is this sense of when will this end? When will someone fix this? This is not as it should be. And yet that's a dominant story throughout the Old Testament of the people of God feeling a sense of exile even when they're at home. And this was a part of their psyche. This is why they lived with such bad news. Now I wanna explain this to you, but it's really hard to, to sum up the whole Old Testament. So I'm gonna show you a video that in three minutes is gonna do a really good job of catching you up of why this deep sense of longing for home would have been so prevalent in this generation. Check this out. There's something about being home, where everything's just right. We're surrounded by people we love and trust. There's a feeling of stability and safety. And while some people get to experience this kind of home, many do not. Others might even be forced to leave their home and go live in a foreign land. We call this going into exile. Yeah, in exile, everything is disoriented. You're in the unknown. And in the story of the Bible, this is where the ancient Israelites found themselves conquered by Babylon, living in exile far from their homeland. And so they had to ask themselves, how did we end up here? And is there any hope of going home? And the whole story of the Bible is designed to address those very questions. The whole story? Really? Yeah, go back to the first pages of the Bible. Where does humanity live? Okay, they live in this really sweet garden, their home. And they're there on one condition, that they trust and follow God's one command, and they don't. And so the consequence is banishment from the garden. Ah, they're sent into exile. Exactly. 
And so this story has been designed to set you up for Israel's story, how they were given the gift of the promised land and were able to stay there on one condition, that they be faithful to the terms of their covenant relationship with God. Uh, they didn't, and they were sent into exile. And if you still don't see the parallel between exile from the garden and exile from Israel, think about this. In Genesis, humanity's exile led up to the story about the building of what city? Oh yeah, Babylon. The same place the Israelites are sent. But that's not the end of either story. In the first Babylon, God called Abraham to leave and travel to the Promised Land. And that story was designed to give hope to the Israelites currently living in the later Babylon. Now eventually, they do get to leave and travel back to their promised homeland. And when they did, it wasn't home sweet home. Oppressive empires were still ruling over them, and the people kept acting in the same corrupt ways as their ancestors. And so the biblical prophets said that exile wasn't actually over. How could they think they were still in exile when they're at home? Yeah, this is really important. In the Hebrew scriptures, Israel's Babylonian exile became an image of something more universal. It's that feeling of alienation and longing for something more, no matter where you live. Yeah, I, I can relate to this. I have a great home, but it's situated in a world scarred with pain and broken relationships, death, tragedy, done by others, but also done by me. And so in the Bible, exile is the human condition. We all keep repeating this pattern of human corruption leading to a Babylon that we can't escape. And it doesn't matter where you live, we are all longing for a better home. It's a powerful statement there. We are all longing for a better home. That's part of the human condition. And if we're honest about it, that's what we relate with. That's the story of Christmas. Is God speaking to a people who are longing for a better home? Now, notice the questions that the video raised. Number one, how did we end up here? This is a, this is a, a key question. This is, why am I dealing with bad news in my life? How, how did this happen? How did we end up like this? That's the question they're asking at this point. Why is Rome ruling over us? They don't understand it. It's bad news to them, which leads to a second question. Is there any hope going home? Now, again, you have to understand at this point in the story, they are home, but they want their home the way it used to be. They want their home the, the way it should be, where, with Rome gone. And so they're going, is there any hope going home? of things getting right, that is a longing. Literally, these two questions, bad news, longing. It's like, what do we do about this? It isn't the way it should be. Israel was living in a state of longing. Now think about this, if, if things are good and they're exactly the way you want them to be, there is no sense of longing there. And we might think that's the ideal situation to be in, where, where you have no bad news and you have no longing and that would be great. But it's actually not a healthy posture for your faith. And so instead, let me consider this, and, uh, and here's something maybe you wanna write down. The more privileged we are, the less longing we desire. Now, the reality is it's very hard to recognize the privilege that you have. And I would say the privileges that you have, because there are so many things that we have that we have been privileged with. We live in the most privileged nation around. And yet we want more of it. We want less and less longing. I don't want anything to be as it should not 
be. And so we look for more and more of that. Now, you're going, I don't understand this. Think about the way that we, uh, we raise kids. And if you're a parent, maybe you'll understand this. That, that we often say things to our kids. I want to provide something for you that I never had. I want to save you from wanting what I had to want for. Essentially what we're doing is trying to remove any sense of longing from our children. It, it was the same thing that happened during the, the, the Great Depression, right? I don't want our kids to feel what we had, so let's make sure they never have the same longing that we did. It's a parental instinct, and yet what we're doing is we're removing longing from our, our kids. And it's not a healthy posture uh, as a human. Now you might go, well, my goal in life is to remove longing. And, and you might be tempted to argue, well, the reason why I'm not going to have any longing is I'm going to learn how to be content. I'll be so content, I won't long for anything. Baloney is what I say to that, all right? You're an American, good luck finding that level of contentedness. It's going to be very hard to do. Here's what I think we do. Instead of saying I'm going to be so content, we think the way I'm going to solve this longing is I'll make sure I get everything I want now. And so I'll buy everything I can buy, and we constantly pursue that, that longing inside of us. If I have the right house, if I have the right vehicle, if I have the right clothes, whatever that, that thing is for you that you long for, you go, this will meet that need. We pursue relationships. If I just have this person and, and I interact with this person, then that longing will be met. We pursue the way the world is offering. Hey, you can fill this longing here. And we go, yes, please. And that way I'll have no more longings, but it doesn't work. And it's especially sad as a Christian to pursue longing the way the world would invite us to. Instead, let me read to you what theologian Walter Brueggemann says. Says the task of prophetic ministry is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. You see, we are the people who say, no, the dominant culture cannot and will not ever fill the longing that we have. And as Christians, it's so easy for us to go, yeah, yeah, tell me what the world offers. Let me just have some more of that. I would say it this way, Christians should be the ones longing for more than this world offers. We should be the ones to say, no, I'm not going to pursue more stuff. No, I'm not going to pursue unhealthy relationships. No, I'm not going to pursue anything this world can give me with the longings that are deep inside of me. Because I believe there's something greater, and this world will never be able to fill it. Now, if I could have a pastoral moment with you, this is why God sometimes doesn't answer your prayers. Well, wait, what? This is why. Think of how often we pray for comfort. I mean, we don't say that, I'm not praying to be more comfortable, but think about things that you pray. In essence, what you're asking for is to be more comfortable. And we say prayers around this. Think of how often we pray for safety. God, keep me safe. Keep anything bad from happening to me. Now, here's what I would tell you. God is the ideal, perfect, loving father. He's the perfect, loving mother. That is God's role to you. So the best images you have of a father or a mother, God has that kind of love for you. God cares about you. It's not, uh, God is not sadistic. But God wants something better for you. And so I think that when you're beginning a, a relationship with Jesus, it's fine to pray prayers of comfort and, and safety. And, and maybe that's the way you start learning how to pray it. But as you mature, I, I think that the trajectory should be less and less of those where you begin to realize, okay, I think God's doing something bigger here, and you start praying that you could be a part of the bigger thing that God is doing in your life. 
See, for many of us, and those of us who may have followed Jesus for a long time, those prayers of comfort and those prayers of safety can become idols in your life. Because what you really want is something that displaces God. If I had more comfort, if I had more safety, I wouldn't long for God anymore. I wouldn't need to, because I would have all that I need. And God will not ever answer a prayer for you that will replace him in your life. And yet that's inadvertently what a lot of us do when we pray for more comfort and more safety. And God, just make everything the way it should be. And God goes, I I can't answer that prayer. Now, sometimes God, as a loving parent, will answer a prayer of comfort or safety. Many times he won't because there's something bigger at work here. These can become idols to us. And comfort is the enemy of growth. The more comfortable you are, the less longing you have in your life, the more stagnant you will be. God goes, I don't want you to be stagnant. I want you to grow. I want to do new things in your life. So that's what happens when things are good, right? We, we don't want anything to change. But what happens when things are bad? When you're very aware, I have bad news in my life, that's when you long for more. And I would suggest that when we're honest with ourselves, when we can be vulnerable, that we acknowledge freely, I have deep longings inside of me, every single one of us, myself included. Now here's the reality, as a pastor, I get to see behind the curtain in your life. I get to see things that people share with me and our staff that they would not share with most people. And so I just know deep longings that people live with that that we're really good at hiding for others. I, I read through prayer requests that you guys turn in every week. I know the deep longings you live with. And it's so easy to pretend and go, oh, not me. No, 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 my life's great. I don't, I don't have any bad news. I don't have any longings. I'm, I'm doing just fine. I wrote down a list of some things that I just uh, came to mind of what are the deep longings represented in our community? Maybe one of these is you. I wish my marriage was better. That's a, that's a deep longing I hear often. Maybe for you, I, I wish I was married. Or I wish I wasn't married, right? It's a deep longing. It's a nervous laugh. <laughs> I wish my job was better. I wish I had kids. I wish my health was better. I wish things were different. I wish I didn't hurt like this. You see, as a community, we have a chance to participate in the pain of others. Let me give you just a real-time example of this. The day before Thanksgiving, about a week ago, we found the body of someone who had taken their own life in our parking lot. You talk about the pain that people are dealing with. Now, to the best of our knowledge, there is no connection with our church. We reached out to the family. There's nothing going on here. But I kept asking myself the question, why do you go to a church parking lot to end your life? What was this person longing for? See, we can pretend all day, oh, it's not me. My life's great. The reality is I have longings. You have longings. Will we be the kind of community that says, this is what I'm longing for, and is willing and ready to be vulnerable about it, and will welcome others in? And we'll say, what are you longing for? What's going on? What's the bad news in your life? Tell us. We'll experience it together. Or will we be a community that pretends? Oh, not us. And to any community that pretends, no one else will feel safe with their longing around you. 
will we model this for others around us? That's why we're committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Because until others see us giving it, until others see us modeling this, they will never feel like this is good news to them. Will we be a community like that? This is what Zechariah's talking about, going, look, I know you're living with bad news. I know you have deep longings, but something is now happening. God is not silent anymore. And then if you keep reading in Luke chapter one, he switches gears. And in verse 76, he starts talking about his son in particular and the role that his son, John the Baptist, is going to play in this whole Christmas story. Let's read it together. It says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the most high, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, for which, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is incredible for, John, or for Zechariah to communicate about John. This is an incredible message to people in the midst of longing. Now, remember, at this point, there had not been a prophet in Israel for centuries and Zechariah says, there's a new prophet here. And what's the message this prophet's gonna say? That there is now a light that will shine on those living in darkness. Notice it does not say, there will be no more darkness anymore. Well, there's now a light that will shine on the darkness. This is an incredible message to people longing for something more. And Zechariah begins to explain, my son John is going to help people see this light in the midst of their darkness. And this is a theme that other biblical New Testament writers are gonna pick up on. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, he connects this same idea with, with light shining on darkness in regards to what John is explained to us, and yet he waits till later in the story to make this connection. I wanna show you in Matthew chapter four, at this point, Jesus and John are both grown up, they're adults now, but watch the connection that Matthew makes in this same topic. Here's what he says. When Jesus heard that John, this is John the Baptist, had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Now notice what Matthew's doing. Matthew's going, okay, you know John? Yep, John's the, the prophet after 400 years of no prophets. Yeah, we got it. He's connecting John to Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet of the Old Testament that had long ago prophesied that there would be a light coming. And in, in Matthew, he's connecting both and going, John is the modern Isaiah. John is the one telling you it's now here. Watch, what's Isaiah's message? Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Matthew's message is, look, you remember all throughout the Old Testament, these prophets were telling you someday a light is going to appear that will shine in the darkness. And Matthew's saying, John's the guy telling you that light is now here. John's the final prophet needed to go, here he is. This is Jesus. This is the one you have waited so long for. There is now someone to journey through your longing with you. A light in the midst of the darkness. 
to an incredible message. Zechariah saying, John, this is what you're going to do. And as I thought about the role that John played, you know what I realized? In a sense, this is what we're all invited to do. That we're not going to be the, the, the last, you know, New Testament prophet. We're, we're not going to have the same role to introduce the world to Jesus that John had. But you know what? We can light up dark spaces. We can bring the light that we have, that we have experienced in Jesus, into dark places today. Go, hey, you're going to see something different because of me. I'm going to journey with you through your longings. So you will know there is a light that will meet you in the darkness. And yet for that to happen, we have to experience it first. We have to be the ones that say, I will not pursue my longings through what the world will offer me. I will not buy my way out of it. I will not pursue a relationship to get out of it. I will not pursue anything outside of Jesus. And Jesus will not fully answer all your prayers the way you're gonna pray them, but he will walk the journey of longing with you. You will learn to see him in the midst of it. And so let me ask you today, how's your story going? How's your own story of bad news and longing? How, how are you uh, trying to deal with that? What are you looking to to try to match the longing that you have in your life? You know, maybe you're asking the same questions as the first century Israelites. How did I end up here? Man, I didn't think my life would be like this right now. This is way different. How, how did I end up here? Is there any hope going home? Is there any hope that it would be right again? These are, these are deep questions that if we're vulnerable, we go, I know what that feels like. And the reality is Jesus wants to meet you here. He wants to meet you in the midst of it and offer you something more. And it might not be what you're expecting. So I want to invite you next week because we're going to talk about how this starts to form into expectations of this is how this will work. And we're going to see how Jesus shows up in the midst of that as well. I want to close today by uh, telling you about a product that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't. It's called Buckley's Cough Mixture. And uh, this is just a, a normal seeming you know, cough syrup and uh, maybe you've tried it. But the claim to fame of this one, if you've ever seen how they market it, it's not, uh, it's not a story about how amazing this is compared to everything else. That's not how they market it. It's not like, wow, this one will do what no one else can. You know what they do to market this? They tell you how bad it tastes. <laughs> That's the claim to fame. For years, for decades, they've been telling you this is the worst cough syrup you will ever have. And yet it works. I was reading about this this week and I came literally just to their website and I was reading about their own product and I was struck by the wording that they, that they used. And I thought, that actually applies to what we're talking about. Here's what they say. When it comes to being sick, there are two kinds of people in this world. Those who want comfort and those who want to get better. We make medicine for the second kind. They know life is too good to miss hiding under the covers. When they're sick, they want to feel like themselves again more than they want to feel sorry for themselves. This is who buys our medicine, and we never forget it because it's clarifying. It means that we just have to make what works and not apologize for how. And it means we don't have to be distracted with salesmanship. That's for snake oil. Build a better mousetrap, they say, and the world will beat a path to your door. That's the way it's been for our medicine, which is why we're so confident when we say, catch this last line, let the people who love you give you comfort. We are here to make you better. <laughs> I love that line. You want to feel comfortable? Go talk to your mom. We're here 
to make you feel better. Right? That's the question for each of us. You just want to be comfortable? Oh, then pursue the world. Buy more stuff. Pursue everything that they tell you you need. You'll, you'll find comfort there. But you won't find what will make you better. You won't find what you are deeply longing for. That's only found in Jesus. Let's pray together. Well, God, we ask you to meet us in the midst of our longing. As we bring it to you, teach us to acknowledge that we will not find the remedy we are looking for in the world around us. That the dominant culture cannot provide us what we seek. Would you give us eyes to see through those lies of consumerism and false hopes and all these things that the world tells us will will meet that need. Instead, may we realize that we're not actually looking for comfort, we're looking to get better. We're looking to grow, we're looking to experience something more out of this life. And that only happens when we find you in the midst of the journey. And it does not mean that you're gonna take this away from us, it means you'll be with us, shining a light onto the darkness. God, we know what bad news feels like. We live in a world that is being crippled by the bad news. May we be people that can give ourselves for others to show them that we have found good news, that we have experienced the good news in the midst of our longing. Would you use us in profound ways to be the church to a hurting world? We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.